Welcome to another episode of Thick and Thin Hoops, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nathan. What's good, Nathan? Yo, we've made it through uh, 72 games. I don't know how this happened so quickly. I feel like we were just talking about starting up on Christmas Day and all that activity, and now we're at the end of the line. Last week, we talked about, you know, the Wizards potentially being in the 10th spot, Sacramento being in the 10th spot. We were going to go see our teams on the road. It looks like Washington will be, but Sacramento may have, you know, I think they're officially eliminated now, which is probably good that to just take you out of your misery here. Yeah, we had our Game 7 NBA Finals type atmosphere because for the Kings, this was the biggest game we've had in, honestly, the biggest game we've had in at least 10 years. Uh and because no other game has had such big implications, the Spurs were right above us, but winning would essentially leapfrog us two games in the standings because it gave us the tiebreaker against them and we're directly beating them. And we fell flat on our face. So uh, like typical Kings fashion, disappointment. And now there's an outside shot we get in, but it takes a hell of a lot for it to happen. Well, and uh, you had a couple of games against OKC left, a game against Memphis. So it was possible you could win out if you had just gotten past the Spurs and they have a really hard schedule. So everything sh- would, you know, would would be right in line to to kind of make that 10th spot. It, and it was ours for the taking. They got waxed yeah. tonight by Brooklyn. They got a couple of other hard games and it we just, man, I don't know. And And the sad thing is we could still end up being pretty close because we have Memphis and Memphis and Utah as our last three. And you know, Memphis is no slouch, but conceivably they're beatable. And then Utah might rest everyone in the last game. So we might barely miss it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, Washington looked like they almost had a chance at number eight uh, after beating Indiana on Saturday. But then Bradley Beal goes down. They lose two heartbreaking games to Atlanta on Monday and Wednesday. And it is very likely that they'll finish 10th, uh, if not 10th, maybe 9th, because Indiana has a couple tough games left. But, you know, Indiana won last night against Philly. That wasn't expected, but then Joel Embiid rested, right? So this is the kind of yep. stuff that, like, at the end of the year, you just can't predict who's going to do what. Um, I found this to be incredibly challenging where you just assume a certain result and all of a sudden, like, Milwaukee is in pole position to grab the two spot, which I thought would be important to them to, A, avoid potentially Miami, right, if they're in sixth, and then, B, to get home court versus Brooklyn in round two. And then they totally laid an egg against the Spurs, you know, the aforementioned San Antonio Spurs on Monday. Um, and so it's really hard to keep up. I think this is the time, this is the dog day, so to speak in normal seasons, but now the player's mentality is still the same yet. There's massive implications riding on every game. Yeah. And, and speaking of, you know, the, these unpredictable results, the wizards have been in just these, I don't know how you're, you know, you're, being able to like sit through these games, man. Each game is like a one point ending it's going crazy. into overtime. It's like clutch possession after clutch possession. <laughs> and it and it goes either way. Like the Wizards have won some of those. They've lost some of those. It's crazy. Like tonight they were up on Monday they were down 16 in the fourth, came back, take the lead, end up losing, right? Tonight they were up 13 in the fourth. Take, you know, same thing. Atlanta storms back. Scott Brooks makes eleven horrific decisions in a row per per, you know, what we're accustomed to, and then we lose. So we have two more against um, Cleveland on Friday, Charlotte on, on on Sunday. So we'll see what happens. I just hope Beal plays because I think there's a chance he can catch Steph for this scoring title. Like we saw all this the craziness with Ken. He's 31.4 and Steph is 31.8. 
Uh, Steph had okay. a tough game last night. I think he had 21 or 23. Um, and so that helped. But Beal would need a couple like monster games. And I'm not sure they're going to play him those minutes if there's nothing to play for, right? Yeah. Like if they can't get up to eight, uh, I think it's way better uh, of a decision to just rest him and let him re- get ready for the play-in. But yeah. all right. So because it is near the end of the season, we're going to do um, NBA awards today, both individual awards as well as our official all NBA teams. And by official, we of course don't have a ballot, but official in that the season's ending and, you know, everything we said a couple weeks ago when we went through this is out the window. Um, the funny thing I, you know, is that uh, this has been one of the weirdest seasons, I think, in recent memory uh, for a lot of different reasons that we've covered throughout the year. But one, you know, the stats are so mind boggling this season that it's hard to put into any type of historical context. Like everybody just walks into a 50, 40, 90, you know, Um, every guy is like historic shooting percentages. um, And then the games missed is a huge problem, right? Like there's like how many different leaders of the MVP race have there been this season at any given point, probably five, six, like usually it's, it's, it's close to wire to wire. Right. Like Giannis last two years, like it's been him the whole season. And so I think it's a pretty obvious number one. I'm sure it will be on both of our ballots, but that in itself was only a lock over the last 20 games, 20, 30 games. So a weird season nonetheless, but you ready to get into these awards? I'm ready, man. I got, I got my selections made. Um, Let's do this. Okay. So for MVP, uh, you actually the actual real voters only vote on top five. So we'll do top five for MVP and then top three for the other award. So give me your top five uh, in order for MVP. You can go ascending or descending if you want to kind of like build up the suspense. No, well, I'll go. I'll go start from the top. So I think Nikola Jokic is my MVP, the deserved MVP. Uh, my prediction from the. Uh, off season should i should i do a victory lap now should i run back the audio from what i predicted is it that was, what i should kind of put in right now well i think can i join you on that victory lap because <laughs> you picked Jokic, i picked Embiid. they're gonna finish top two and the argument could be made if Embiid had stayed healthy all this year it would have been him but more importantly than that both of them were 25 to 1 odds at the start of the year so nobody had these guys on their radar and they stormed to the front and yeah, Jokic just grabbed it by the, you know, by grabbed it by the throw. Like this is his season. Like we'll always remember it as, as what he did from start to finish. Maybe this is what we should be betting on instead of these uh, over unders, which clearly every year we are massively uh, underperforming on. Um, but anyways, I, I don't know. We've talked about MVP a lot. I don't know what more there's to say about Jokic. Let me talk about, I think the narrative for Jokic He's already kind of locked it up. He's got the offensive, uh, an elite offensive season, numbers up across the board. the The one thing holding him back early on was the narrative and the the team success. And I think he's shattered both because Denver has climbed up the standings, and he's also bolstered a narrative for himself with the Jamal Murray out for the season and Denver not really missing a beat. Yep. And I think. That stuff shouldn't matter. His numbers already spoke for him for themselves. But in you know MVP, we always need some kind of oomph behind the campaign, and I think that locked it up for a lot of voters who are on the fence. And given the games played and all the injuries missed by all the other guys, there's no other logical choice. So not much more has to be said about Jokic. Number two, I've got Embiid. 
I think that's a lock. I don't think you're going to disagree there. And then no. Giannis is number three. And honestly, Giannis could be number two, the way he finished the season. His numbers, once again, eye-popping. The Bucks kind of returned to form in the second half of the season. Defensively, he's been elite. And I think Drew Holiday has really helped unlock his game in a little bit with in, in the pick and roll. Uh, he looks a little bit more comfortable on offense. But once again, we talk about this all the time. Got to wait for the postseason. And so he, you know, I think you can make a case for him finishing second. I wouldn't even be surprised given that Embiid missed chunk of games. Yeah. But he's third on my list. So. So that was yeah. my top three, too. And well, I want to get to your four and five here. That was my top three. The question I'd have for you is a lot of guys, as they're talking about this, are sort of there's starting to be this weird boomerang um, affecting Jokic where it's like, oh, he was the last man standing and therefore the default MVP versus a deserving one. Where do you stand on that? Because to me, I think that's flat out insane, right? Every single advanced number, he's basically either first or just trailing behind first, right? Including a lot of defensive metrics, which if you had to point to something that's a flaw in his game, it's on that side of the ball. And he's been very, very good defensively, especially for his standards. So, you know, if you told me yeah, uh, Joel played 15 more games than he ended up playing, right? So the gap wasn't as wide. Like right now, as of today, I think it's Jokic has played 69 games and Joel Embiid has played, what, um, 49. So it's quite a big, big gap. But if that was like 69 to 62, you could make an argument maybe Joel would end up winning the award. But where do you stand on it? Like it, how, how deserving is Jokic or am I just feeding this bullshit narrative created by Nick Wright to the world because we've had nothing to talk about for the last month while he's wrapped up the award? I, I think it's insane that he's not considered kind of the runaway MVP. I don't think you need to add all these qualifiers and the fact that other guys missed games. But I think people do it because he doesn't look like your typical MVP candidate. Like, let's be honest. And it's not because he's white. I mean, like Dirk's won it and Steve Nash, Nash. won it, but he's just... He's Curry. he's just a different kind of guy and yeah. um, very plotting style of play. Doesn't jump out at you. Doesn't jump out at the casual fan, right? Like the casual fan's not appreciating the wizardry that he's he's kind of putting out there on the court night after night. Yeah. And then the other the other piece with Jokic is that they started off slow, and usually MVPs like if you look at the past 10, 12 years, you you yourself said it. MVPs have kind of led wire to wire, and. This season, Embiid started out strong. You had LeBron. You had Luka, even though the Mavs started off a little bit slow. And the Nuggets were sitting in the seventh and sixth seed, underwhelming, disappointing for most of the season. So people didn't give that much credibility to his his numbers, even though he had eye-popping numbers from the start. And so now, obviously, you look back at it, and he's put together a complete season. The, The team has put together a complete season. But I think he just didn't have that momentum early on. And I think MVP candidacy, usually you need right out of the gate that kind of uh, momentum. Yeah, I mean, you talk about – that's an interesting point, right? Because you talk about the Mavericks. Like, Luka was the clubhouse leader preseason odds-wise for MVP. And part of the reason the Mavs' resurgence didn't come with more Luka MVP buzz is because he struggled early on too being out of shape, sort of sort of not having his shit together. But Jokic, even while the team wasn't performing great, was individually awesome the whole year. But it was just like, okay, well, they're not good. They're not even in the playoff picture. or no. They're the seventh seed. So it was like, okay, we're not going to give it to them when their team's not doing well, which is, the like I said, the way people vote on MVP is team success, more, more importantly than anything else. But then it's like, okay, the totality of the season, he also didn't miss a game 
which I think can't be understated in this kind of year. Um, he already caught COVID preseason, so, you know, over the summer. <laughs> By the way, can I get some credit for my theory that if you just got it when you in a safe environment, safe space, you would have been protected all year? Got the antibodies working, and then by the time that those wore off, you had the vaccine ready. So I don't think anyone disagreed with you. Your your theory was why don't we get all these guys in a room, inject them with COVID, let them suffer it in the off season, and then come back for a full season. Not that's the line of thinking you say, but just kind of like hang out maskless in like a lounge, yeah, um, and see what happens. But just all go to social twenty five. Yeah, exactly. R.I.P. I think truly, I think there's no chance that place has survived. COVID, but yeah, no way. you know, so I, I, I feel I'm happy because I've been a, a long time Jokic lover. I just, I'm a little frustrated by the way that people are evaluating it in some ways. And I think it's kind of just like, you know, the contrarian media, like the Skip Bayless's type who have to say something to say something. But, you know, to me, there's no way that, the, like, if you picked Embiid, if they were both fully healthy, fine. I might've as well. But it's not like Jokic was not a deserving candidate, no. even with full health from other guys. Um, his numbers are historic. The team success is, you know, maybe not typical of an MVP, but close enough. You know, their game off the third seed, that, that, that's probably close enough. So, all right, who'd you have in your four and five? Number four, and this is where 100% we're going to disagree. Number four, I got Chris Paul. Number five, I got Steph Curry. Now, I already talked about this in the previous episode. I, just, I have I, the same thing. Wait, you, I legit, you have Paul four? Yeah. And Steph five? Okay. Yeah. I told you this. I was like, yo, I'm putting Paul higher on the MVP list and I'm oh, not yeah. going to give him first, you know, first team all NBA. I'm going to give him higher on the MVP list because I think it's a different award. Yeah. This one, this one's controversial for sure. But at the end of the day, I look at Steph, the Warriors, as, as crazy of a season he's had, they're still the eighth seed, whether that's, his, it's not his fault that team has a lot of G-leaguers, but when we talk about MVP, we're talking about cream of the crop teams. And so I think he has to get knocked down a peg just for that. And Chris yeah. Paul, what he's done, numbers aside, uh, you know his numbers don't pop out in any metric. Even the advanced stats, I think, don't tell the full story. But anyone who's watched the Suns, anyone who's even been around that team says that he is really the catalyst for everything that's happened. So I, I got to go with Chris Paul. Uh, yeah, I like Paul at four, and like honestly, you could make an argument, and I think some people might for three, just because Giannis fatigue combined with the turnaround that the Suns have had. But you know, there's a lot of talk around. Well, the Suns were going to do this anyway. They had won eight straight in the bubble. Like Devin Booker, De- DeAndre Aiden are their natural point of progression of getting better as young players who are you know top player top picks. I get that, but. There's two things that I would have to say to that. One is Devin Booker's not exactly young by NBA. Like, he's young physically age-wise, but it's also his fifth or sixth season, right? So if we hadn't seen it yet, it's not like it's going to magically develop this year. Aiton, even on his best day, appears to be a really, really good role player. Like, he's not changing the calculus of a team in the same way that you would think for someone who's drafted number one overall. And then thirdly, Steph Curry – I'm sorry, Chris Paul has this – pedigree at literally every single team he's ever played for in the nba uh you go through the list the the hornets in new orleans the clippers the um the rockets the thunder and now the suns this is what he does and so the fact that he did it again makes me almost feel like this is even more evidence that it's because of him and the way he's able to kind of right the ship accordingly so you know i think the fact that he has fairly pedestrian numbers in a season where everyone's putting up like 
monster, monster stats kind of dings him a bit. But I do like him over Steph, who, despite the historic year, still plays for a essentially 500 team. You know, they're climbing a little bit up above 500, but for a large part of the year, they were right at that mark. And and the thing with the Suns, the 8-0 and the bubble, they were already kind of... This reminds me so much of the Bucks, where now in hindsight, everyone's like, oh, well, Tom Brady joined a pretty good Bucks team. You know, they had all the pieces, which it's true. But that Bucks team was still 7-9. The Suns were still a losing organization. And I don't think it can be understated the impact Chris Paul had. Uh, I don't think... If Chris Paul wasn't there... I think they may have been a team flirting with a sixth, seventh, or eighth seed. Yeah, they'd be like, in the play. That's still good, but they're, that's a massive difference than contending for the number one. They're still in play for the number one seed. So I think you got to go Chris Paul there. Could, not that you can give Chris Paul credit for it, but he's the reason a guy like Jay Crowder came over too, right? Like, I think I'm not saying that that's part of his MVP <laughs> candidacy, but it is a factor in like he's bringing guys a little bit more professional that are into the organization and that you get to develop someone like even Aiton has looked great with Paul, right? He gets a lot of assist dunks. Yeah. Mikel Bridges gets a lot of open threes guys who are playing better because they're put in better situations. Everyone's floor has raised. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. So, wow. We had the exact same top five, which is really just, we can't uh, but, we uh, but look, look, break look, out of the cycle of disagreeing. Like no Luka Doncic, no Julius Randle. No, no I mean, um, Luca has had an up and look. Luca by the numbers is amazing, but he's had a tale of two seasons. The Mavs have not been as impressive as everyone hoped for. It's just hard for me to put him in top five. He's definitely in that six seven range. Julius Randle, these guys, there's these guys every year. I don't think they're good enough to be MVP. MVP types, you have to remember, like you go through the list of, and this is something Bill Simmons loves doing. You go through all the past MVPs, and only a couple names stick out to you as guys who really don't belong there. Uh, Derek Rose, but Derek Rose also his career would look different maybe if he didn't get injured. Yeah, and, and who else? Like, I'm trying to think of of another MVP name that didn't really fit in the last 30 years. You can't. They're well, all all time it, greats. It's somewhat of a self fulfilling prophecy, right? Because if you win an MVP, obviously your um your notoriety and your sort of your place in history is improved, but. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think about the worst MVP in the last 20 years, which is the thing Nick Wright said and said Jokic was going to be the worst one in the last yeah. 35 years. <laughs> uh, to me, Rose in in uh, in 11, but that's more, like you said, because of the way his career – like, that was his third season in the league. Like, yeah. it's hard to imagine what he could have been if he just stayed healthy the whole time. So, And so when, when I evaluate top five MVP, I, I think of guys who actually conceivably could have really won it. Um, and I just – Randall – is far down my list. I'd rather have Luca over him, um, you know, and all those other guys we named. Right, right. All right. Defensive player of the year. Um, so we're going to do top three. Um, so what do you have? What do you have here? Because I think this is a weird award. It's kind of almost boring now at this point, but let's, let's hear it. Give me Ben Simmons. I'm tired mm. of Rudy Gobert. I'm tired of all these big men. Ben Simmons has had a, and I know you, I see you on Twitter slandering Ben Simmons' name, um, taking shots at him left and right. And and with this weird argument of, oh, why does everyone say Ben Simmons is a superstar? No one's saying he's a superstar anymore. Ben Simmons gets clowned Dude, on people are more still than, talking about him for all NBA this year. Like, honestly. And that's how good his defense has been. And he has been locked down. And look, they've got a lot of other good defensive pieces on that team. It's a team concept. 
Thibel being obviously number one, Embiid being great. But that Sixers team, when Embiid was gone, defensively still brought it night in, night out because of Simmons, because of his versatility on defense. I know what because Gobert means Howard. to Jazz. I know what Gobert means to that Jazz team, but I'm I, you can't just keep filling in his name every year, year after year, especially when you see what happens in the playoffs. I'm giving it to Simmons. I think he's upped it a notch. He's always been a good defensive player. This year, he's taken it to another level. Give him the award. You can't be like, see what happens in the playoffs with Embiid in an argument. I'm sorry, with Rudy Gobert in an argument that's related to Ben Simmons, right? The ultimate, like, I actually am shit in the playoffs, and therefore I should never be talked about in the rarefied air that I am. I I like Simmons as a defender, I should say. He's second on my ballot, but as boring as it is, it is Rudy Gobert's award, and here's why. Ultimately, rim protection matters way more in the NBA than perimeter defense. Even in today's era of switching everything and being versatile, which Simmons excels at, the rim protection is what drives really great defenses. It's why Philadelphia goes as Joel Embiid goes. He's actually their most important defender. Um, I know, like you said, they, they kept their defense up. I think they're second right now, despite Embiid missing 20 games, which is pretty impressive. But I look at a team like Utah, who's been first for basically the whole season in the, in the West. A lot of the time, earlier in their season, people are like, well, this is the only team that hasn't been hit by COVID. It hasn't been hit by injuries. So it's really their first because no one else is there. But since then, Donovan Mitchell's gone down for a chunk of time. Mike Conley's gone down for a chunk of time. They don't really have that many plus defenders other than maybe Royce O'Neal around um, Rudy, right? And he's still able to anchor that defense into a top five unit. And as boring as it is, as much as like Rudy is just a very hateable player, which he is, right? Like I don't think anyone, any star quote unquote is disrespected by both his peers and the media as much as Rudy Gobert is, but he he embodies what they do defensively. And it's the reason why they're first in the West in, you know, a Western conference that granted had a bunch of injuries, things like that. But at the same time, they withstood it all, even with their own injuries playing a factor down the stretch. Elite rim protection has always been important, but Gobert has been played. I know you should, you say don't bring in postseason or what has happened in the past into how we evaluate Rudy Gobert. But I think it should be like considered because it shows that that skill, as, as valuable as you say it is in the regular season, which this is an award for, granted, I, I think he's gotten played off the floor in playoff moments because he can't switch out to the perimeter. Um, they can take advantage of, of him in pick and roll, and he becomes a liability. And maybe it changed this year. I don't know. Simmons is a guy who you he can guard one through five. And I think the value of that is... I think you're understating how important that is. And so to me, I think that skill set's more valuable. I think he at least deserves a nod this year. And Rudy Gobert's been recognized, man. Like, I think it's like a toss-up between the two. So I'd rather give it to Simmons, who I think brings a different defensive value um, than Gobert does. And I think that is actually going to be more valuable when it comes to the playoffs. It will be more valuable in the playoffs. But, you know, it, it – I, I guess uh, dissimilar to MVP where it said Giannis's playoff track record does carry with him. I think DPOY for whatever reason doesn't feel like it's as connected and maybe it should be. It should uh, be, it should have... be connected. But what I'm saying is that we know that there's flaws to his defensive game. Like we see it get exposed every single year and whether it's in the playoffs, regular season, we've seen it get exposed. Yeah. I just think rim protection is ultimately more important. 
and therefore I'm going with the guy who's the best rim protector in the league. And look, this could have been Joel Embiid, frankly, if he hadn't gotten hurt again. Like he could have been MVP and DPOY for all we know, because he was playing at that level. Um, this but. is an award that in the past, the league, I mean, the league gave it to Michael Jordan, who's a great defender, but like, uh, you know, there were a lot of other elite rim protecting bigs at the time, but they yeah, gave but it to a guard. Why he's I think, the GOAT. Like, no, this. come on. I, I This has always been my the bone pick. I think they've strayed too far away, similar to sixth man of the year, which has just become which player off the bench is a microwave and scores 20 points a game. Defensive yeah. player of the year has become who can who is the kind of plotting center who can protect the rim. And I think they don't, they've completely started to neglect any guards or other wing players in this race. And I don't understand why when they gave it to Jordan and every Jordan stand uses it as one of the hallmarks of his resume, that he's this all-time defender when Simmons is doing the same kind of defensive things Jordan probably did back then. Well, I don't care if that's just Jordan. One. It's not just Jordan, right? Like Kawhi won it twice. Um, Scotty Pippins won it. Gary Payton's won it. Um, other guards or perimeter players have won Ka- the award. You're right. Kawhi's the most recent example, but I feel like they still like it's still Draymond, way who's not a traditional rim protector, seven. right? He does some of that, some of that switching. So, but he's still. I, I, you know what the problem is, and this is actually interesting because analytics is a, is a way a lot of people just vote now. That it's almost like they just sort on whatever <laughs> column that you know is their favorite stat, VORP, uh, win shares, PR, Raptor. whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. LeBron. There's like multiple LeBron, ones. Like, LeBron, show, like, when was LeBron made? I thought we just figured out the formula for Raptor and Mello and the Carmelo one. Yeah. The Carmelo rating. So anyway, def- defense is actually still the one. Um, it's a bit of a gray area for how to measure. Like it's it's not known yet what the right ways are to measure from a stats basis. But from a stats basis right now, the best defenders, uh, advanced numbers-wise, are always big men yeah. because of how much it's it's seen to be important. So Gobert laps the field, right? Bam Adebayo, Joel Embiid, Clint Capella. Like, there's guys who think that those four might Giannis, right? Those five are the best defenders in the league because they're all ex- excellent rim protectors. But because perimeter defense doesn't get to control as much of a even possession – Right, because you can only be on one side of the court at one point. If the no. ball is not on your side, you can't really control that. Then it's harder to evaluate. It almost reminds me of like a cornerback, like a shutdown cornerback is less valuable than the preeminent edge rusher, yeah. because the edge rusher can get home on every play. But if you're Darrell Revis and you got your guy locked up, well, they can throw to four other dudes, and it's very similar in that manner. Fine, but but then I I like yeah, to that's think a of- sick analogy. That was a good analogy. Props to me for <laughs> on the spot. Um, but yeah, but at the same time, I think you have to think about that. Okay, there's inherently, if you're playing that center role, you're naturally, it's going to be easier for you to provide that rim protection. So what I mean is Gobert, there's so many elite rim protectors. Gobert may be slightly better than Embiid, but you have a lot of other guys in the NBA who are still pretty good at, at providing rim protection. Right. What about Simmons over the average perimeter defender? I think his value might be even more. I don't have the numbers to back it up, but so when you think about it that way, I think given the position he plays and the impact he has at that position, knowing that it's not uh, a rim protector, I think that matters. Then Travis Kelsey should be MVP of the NFL. Yeah, but this is not MVP. We're talking about defensive player of the year. So if you want to say pass catcher of the year, 
Yeah, you could say Kelsey over, like, I don't know, Devontae Adams. I wouldn't right. disagree with that. Yeah, maybe that's it. All right, let's zip through these last few awards. Let's go to Rookie of the Year. Um, there's three guys, I think. All right, who was, on, who was third on your Defensive Player of Year ballot? Did you have one? Yeah, because I'm so intent on putting guards in, I put Drew Holiday. Oh, okay, nice. I Instead of, I know big. Bam is the uh, natural selection. I went Bam. I went Bam, yeah. But I, I knew I was going to come up with him. this rant, so I had to back it up with more guards. I watched Bam, especially on Sunday, just destroy the Celtics again. I, I feel bad for the Celtics. He <laughs> constantly is just destroying them. But uh, So, yeah, I had Bam. You had Drew. Drew's been awesome. Drew's been, I mean, home run acquisition. Um, but, all right, Rookie of the Year. How did you rank? I think that there's three candidates that it's probably going to be on everyone's ballots. How did you rank them? So, you got to go. Anthony Edwards, as much as it oh. pains me to say. Um, and a, c- a couple of reasons. I think first, uh, obviously, I want my guy Tyrese to be number one. And I had him number one all the way until these last couple of weeks. Uh, he got injured, um, but his game also kind of had tailed off towards the end of the season. Whereas Anthony Edwards, I think, has only gotten better. The Timberwolves are playing well. Um and, and I think he's found his, his role and he's still, I know his, his shooting numbers aren't that, aren't that efficient, but if you look at his splits, you look at his post all-star, he's trending up. And I think Tyrese Halliburton has been more consistent and steady all year. And the, the eye test says that he's going to be an amazing player, but it's just hard to give rookie of the year to, to Halliburton, especially when the Kings have struggled so much. And to be completely honest, they haven't done that much worse when he's been off the floor either. So He's going to be a special player, but I think you've got to go with Anthony Edwards. Yeah, some of the advanced numbers are not totally favorable to him. Um, I think he's his shooting splits are close to, again, 50-40-90, which is insane for a rookie uh, who, who isn't like a low-usage player, right? Like he averages 14 a game, so it, you know he plays a big enough role in the offense. I went LaMelo. Um, and actually I have Halliburton third and Edwards second. And so the reason why is I just think LaMelo impacts winning so much more right now. Um, you look at him 16, six and six, 36% from three, which is better than what people thought more attentive defensively than people thought he makes one to two incredible plays a week, uh, that Edwards does too. And maybe that's the piece Halliburton's missing, but you know, with LaMelo, it's just the basketball IQ, the passing vision, playing on a really, really fun Hornets team. See, with Edwards, it's like he gunned for his numbers. And so until recently when Cat and D'Angelo were back, the Timberwolves were horrific, right? They were the worst team in the league for most yep. of the year. I'm not going to reward Edwards just because he played 20 games more than LaMelo, especially with Rookie of the Year where the games played doesn't matter as much. Shit, we almost gave it to Joel Embiid when he played 31 <laughs> games out of 82 few, you know, several years ago. So I like LaMelo here. He's going to be playing in the playoffs or at least in the play-in tournament. He's been playing meaningful basketball all season, right, because the Hornets have been competitive. Whereas Edwards has been chucking, he's been learning, and I like it. I, he's incredibly bright future for all three of these players. Um, but I go, I go the one with actually something on the line night to night ahead of him, and also productive. It's not like his stats are meager; they're they're pretty they're pretty uh, you know sufficient across the board. I have Lamelo as a f- firm third place. Now here's the the case for Anthony Edwards over Lamelo. Um, like post All Star break, twenty four five and three. On 56% true shooting, so not terrible. Right. Um, they're not elite by any means, but 
those are those are star type numbers. And I know we often over index on good scoring output on bad teams for rookie of the year. LaMelo looks great, but he missed a third of the season. He's only played 48 games. Yeah. And um I think you got to count that uh, account for that. In in a lot of the games he played in, he was benched in the final couple of minutes. Like he was not part of their crunch time lineup. So I don't know how much you can talk about him contributing to winning. Whereas, I mean, the Wolves haven't really been winning. So I know Anthony Edwards, you can't really make that argument. But the Kings, I put Tyrese Halliburton over him because Halliburton was an impact player that they kept in crunch time possessions in every game, in close games. And his crunch time stats are great. So if the argument for LaMelo is uh, he leads to winning basketball, I'm not, I think that narrative got a little overblown. He's a great passer, floor general, but I don't think that impact is, is there yet. Well, like, I guess the question is, if you look at Charlotte, they clearly overperformed, right? And they overperformed because I think primarily Gordon Hayward, and then you could argue maybe Ter- Terry Rozier. Like, they, he had more talent on his team than those other two teams, right? I'll give you that. That That's clear, right? They had Miles uh, Bridges, who took a leap. Um, you know, Devontae Graham kind of rebounded from a tough start. So they had a lot of talent. LaMelo wasn't asked to do a lot night to night. In fact, he rode the bench at a lot of times at the end of games. Um, so I, I hear that. But I think the, the argument over Tyrese is just his productivity. He's got better numbers pretty much across the board. Maybe not as good of a shooter, not as good as true shooting percentage, but everything else I think. Not as good plus. as a defender. Yeah, fine, but Lamelo wasn't like it's not like okay, Tyrese wasn't locking yeah, guys he, up yeah. like like <laughs> prime, not, he uh, great. prime Rudy Gobert, but um, um, <laughs> and I think the argument over Edwards is just playing more meaningful basketball. Like Edwards to me is a guy who could lead the league in scoring one day. A lot of people are saying that just because of how professional his moves are already, how insanely fast his first step is. It's ridiculous. It reminds me of like. It almost reminds me of like Dwayne Wade in a way. Um, mm-hmm. That was actually one of the pre the pre draft comps. They both yep. went to Marquette. Uh, sorry, they both uh, played for Tom Crean. Apologize, uh, of course. Edwards went to Georgia, but the the reality is he looks like a rookie Dwayne Wade, um, which is how quickly he can get to the bucket. But he's actually like a better shooter than early Dwayne Wade was, mm-hmm. especially from three. So the, the you know the. the the sky is the limit for him. I just think this year I'm not going to reward him for scoring a bunch of points on a team that's going to be second worst in the league, third worst yeah. in the league, whatever. All right, six man of the year. I don't have much to say about my list, so we can make this, this one. Point. I, <laughs> as much as I went on a rant for sticking to kind of traditional stereotypes for these awards, I went with the off the bench gunning guard in Jordan Clarkson as my sixth man of the year. I, I just think that Utah, the one of the big reasons they've been good, there's a lot of reasons they've been good this year. Donovan Mitchell has been more efficient. Mike Conley has played a big role. Ingles has been great um, off the bench. I just think Clarkson has really helped unlock that offense because of what he's doing in that second unit. And that's why they're able to kind of beat up on these teams is he is leading the charge there. He is a crucial player for them to get some of those buckets outside of Mitchell. Um, so yes, it is a lot of empty points and Clarkson is the kind of guy who will jack up 35 shots and end up with 28 points. But uh, this award, I, I, this year was weird with six man of the year. 
I, I didn't like a lot of the other names. I was struggling to think a lot of the guy, uh, a lot of a lot of other guys that were really impactful. So I'm going to give it to Clarkson. Yeah, I mean the debate right now, and Clarkson's the overwhelming favorite, but it's going to be between him and Joe Ingles. I don't know that I like the way Clarkson's played the last couple of months. The gunning has went to a whole nother level, and the efficiency has taken a hit especially as he's been asked to play a bigger role without Donovan Mitchell and without um, Mike Conley. So I went with Ingles, who's a much more muted player uh, in terms of like, he's not going to go off for 30. Like uh, Clarkson brought them back almost single-handedly versus the Warriors on Monday. Uh, he had finished with 41 points, 15 three-point attempts and zero assists. I think it was the first time in history those numbers had been accumulated <laughs> together. And that is the Jordan Clarkson experience. But like, a night like tonight versus Portland, they're at home. He bricks a bunch of shots. Can't really do anything else uh, to get guys going. Um, and so I went with Ingles. I think, like you said, the Jazz benefit from a lot of things. Their depth and their sort of evenness being one of the top reasons that they've been so good. And so the winner coming from one, this team is is pretty fitting. So I had Ingles one, Clarkson two, and you know Brunson and Derrick Rose is <laughs> a distant fourth. I, I, yeah, don't, I, I don't have a lot to say here. I had Ingles and then Brunson as well. Ingles has a good case. Clarkson has been god awful. Like you understand it, he's been awful in the last month or so. But yeah. I think it's hard. He's been asked to do a lot without Mitchell there, and so I kind of discount some of that. He got up to a scorching start, and so I think on all in all, he's your typical Lou Williams season. Nothing special. I'm not yeah. saying this is one of the better campaigns for six man of the year, but. I think it's he has Lou enough. Williams, Jamal Crawford playbook. Like we've yeah. seen this over and over again. Um, okay. Most improved. Um, there's one candidate, I think, who's pretty much wrapped this up. Uh, who did you have? It has to be Julius Randle. Yeah. It can't be okay. anyone else. Yep. Okay. We can move on because I want to talk about him in, in the All-NBA conversation. Who, who do you have second? I put Christian Wood. Um, I think Jeremy Grant was my third. And now that I look at it, maybe I'd put Grant ahead of him just because of well, Grant's missed a bunch of time lately, so I don't know. Like those were my top three. Those guys to me are like the same player. Uh, they're all they're all same. like the same. They're all like variations of the Just same player. Putting it's like up Darwinism. Big... It's like the Darwinism chart that reached us to Homo sapiens. Like we're gonna get there. So I'm gonna go a completely different route for who I have second. Um, third, I think it's a toss up for me between those two guys. Second, I'm actually putting Jalen Brown. Um, mm. and, and Jalen Brown, I, the reason I think he obviously hasn't made the same kind of monumental leap in terms of number of points or assists or rebounds or counting stats, but he's elevated his game to that next tier of he's playing kind of on, not the same level, but close to the same level as Jason Tatum, yep. providing some kind of defensive value. Um, his, I'd never anticipated him to become this kind of a dynamic scorer. Um, and he still has his limitations, but he has really taken his offensive game to a new level. And uh, while Boston's been disappointing, I think we always knew Tatum was going to be a star, like a stud. Not always knew, but we got early signs. I never thought Jalen Brown would become this good. And so I'm going to give him the, the nod for just taking his game one extra notch, which is hard. Going to like borderline superstar, not superstar, but a star. I do like that. He's he's gotten better at basically everything um, in a way that's very hard because it looked like – I think he's interesting because his ceiling has looked capped in multiple times during his short career, and each time he's exceeded that. Yep. 
and to get to the all-star level of play and some nights look like the best player on the Celtics, including Jason Tatum, even when Jason Tatum was on, right? Like there are times that they would defer to Brown. I think that's been cool to watch. I mean, <laughs> the Celtics season is just, it's in pure disarray and he's now out of course with the wrist injury for the rest of the year, but, but he did, he did put together an awesome campaign. First time all-star, which is great. Yep. Um, okay. Coach of the year. This one is interesting. I think, uh, probably again, three to four main candidates. I have Tom Thibodeau. Um, yeah. So Monty, I know you probably have Monty Williams up there. You know, he's another one who I thought is close. I, the reason Thibodeau gets it is because with, with the Suns, you can say Chris Paul, you can say Aiden on the bubble. You have a lot of, and I think Monty Williams did a fantastic job bringing it all together, but there are a lot of things you can point to. Without Thibodeau, if you put any other coach or worse coach than Thibodeau, maybe, you know, you put a Luke Walton on this Knicks team, no one was talking about um, RJ Barrett making, you know, a leap into a more efficient player. No one was talking about Emmanuel quickly being a, uh, a surprising rookie. No one talked about Julius Randle, who we've seen for what, seven, eight seasons now? Yep. This late in his career, taking a step forward and becoming an elite player, all NBA type talent. No one was talking about, I mean, Derek Rose got a lot of credit, but I think he, even he's been a really, no one has seen him in that six man role on a winning team or a really good team. You know, he's done in Minnesota, in New York, but now this season it's different. And Thibodeau has, has raised the floor of all these guys. They make their bones on defense. Like Lakers, Knicks last night, just the defensive kind of slugfest that was this team has an identity they're winning because of that identity and they're a top four seed in the east who no one would have predicted that so i like the Suns. i like monty i, I just think you have to go thibodeau this season yeah it's a hundred percent thibodeau um one of the things i think we do is we forget we re-anchor our expectations over and over, right? I mentioned this with the Wizards last week where I was like assuming we're going to get a top five pick. So the fact that they were playing well was like a shock to me, even though that was my expectation like four months ago. With the Knicks, I don't think people remember how bad they were supposed to be. Yeah. Like there's, you could find tweets all over the place. Like, you know, Old Takes Exposed, that Twitter account who just retweets, you know, everyone <laughs> who made bad picks, like has a field day just being like, oh, the season starts December 22nd, uh, but the Knicks are already eliminated from playoff contention. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. It's like, this team was not supposed to compete. I think everything you said, like, last night really stuck out to me because I that was such a fun game just because it was so unique from what we're normally seeing. Like, in overtime, the Knicks still managed to not hit 100 points, which was kind of amazing. <laughs> um, but guys who have never been known for defense – um, except for maybe like a Mitchell Robinson who missed half the season, Nerlens Noel, who's been on four teams, you know, Julius Randle, never part of his game, Derek Rose, same thing. And like all these guys have bought into the system. Um, RJ Barrett's made a huge leap. Like RJ Barrett, when they got the third pick, if you remember, it meant missing out on Zion and Ja. Mm -hmm. And you would probably still take either of those guys. I mean, pretty clearly over RJ if you had to like redraft, so to speak. But he's so much better than he was as a rookie and that's not an accident. Um, and Julius Randall is obviously toned into a totally different player. Uh, so yeah, I, I got Tibbs as well. And Monty Williams, I went two, and then doc rivers. I went three, you know, pushing Philadelphia from six to one, um, with largely a similar roster. I know they made some pretty smart tweaks on the edges, getting rid of Horford and bringing in George Hill, bringing in Seth Curry, et cetera. Josh Richardson's out. So, but 
they're running away with the East, and I think that that deserves some credit. So yeah, I think Rivers and Quinn Snyder to me are, are kind of tied because they're taking that the the both those teams, the Jazz and the Sixers, have their core pieces in place, but taking them to that number one seed, that next level, I think they get credit. And Quinn Snyder, I kind of give him the slight nod over Doc just because he's doing it in the West. And the West, yes, a lot of injuries, not the same conference. Um, the Jazz are tailing off a little bit now, but. Uh, it's still incredible what they've been able to do. And and even Doc, I mean, the Sixers without Embiid for a good chunk of the season, still still staying afloat. I think he's done a masterful job. So, yeah. You know, I will say, like, Utah's getting their ass kicked by Portland. You saw Phoenix do the same against L.A. Like, has a 1-2 in a conference, especially the West, ever felt so vulnerable as we do right now with Phoenix and, uh, you know, with Utah? Like, who in their right mind – is putting them either as a favorite to, to make it out of the West. Now I know Mitchell and Conley are not there for Utah. Those are major, major pieces. I'm not discounting that, but gun to your head. Would they be the third and fourth team you pick to get out of the West fourth and fifth, second and fourth? Like it feels very precarious despite how good they've been all year. Both teams really easily. I mean, look at this. I don't want to overreact to the jazz warriors or suns warriors but you know those teams don't want to play right now they're looking at either the lakers or the warriors if things kind of panned out in the current seating and and, and uh I, I can't say that utah or phoenix would, would win those series i mean especially not against the lakers but even the warriors i think have a shot yeah. so and and the lakers are an anomaly like if they were healthy they would not be in the seventh seed so it's okay yeah. to be rightfully fearful of lebron and the defending champs but the warriors have that team has been there all year. Like you should be able to beat the eight seed Warriors. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, and that, that team is not still not that good, despite how well they've been playing in terms of end to end talent on that roster. So right. I mean, hey, listen, maybe that that that'll come through in the playoffs, and this is this is really not as as concerning as it seems right now. But uh, actually, on that quick note, before we switched to all NBA, there was a a study done a couple of years ago that showed that the idea of like being hot going into the playoffs is like total bullshit. And your playoff performance is a lot more correlated to your first 20 games than your last 20 games. Yeah, I think we talked about this, Did too. we talk about yeah. that? Yeah. yeah. And so maybe it's all like, okay, this is just stuff to talk about while we're waiting for the playoffs. And the reality is they'll be fine. But I also haven't seen a season like this one with, with the kind of injuries. And it's just a weird season, you know, yeah. overall. Um, okay, so let's go to all NBA. Uh, we did like a rough draft of this a couple weeks ago, and I just want everyone to just immediately forget whatever rosters I put forward because I think I've changed almost every position on mine. So the first thing I'd say is uh, there's a lot of positional flexibility they offered this year. Um, you know, basically most wings are eligible at guard and forward. So I mean, like Jason Tatum, Paul George, Jimmy Butler, um, Donovan Mitchell, LeBron James. Luka Doncic, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Gobert and Jokic are both eligible at center and forward. Um, so the first thing we need to talk about is we agreed beforehand to not put either at forward. It's just disingenuous, and it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. And it's not the spirit of the way all NBA is voted on. As and when they truly get rid of positions or do what the All-Star game does, which is just three front court, then we could do that. But for now, we're going to keep them as centers. So that is something to note ahead of time. So let's go through our lists. Um, I had four locks on my first team. Same. And 
Okay, so who were your locks? Because I think, I assume we'll have the same four, but let's see. Jokic, Giannis, Steph, and Luka. Yes, okay. So then who's your fifth? Because I'm interested to see what you did with Luka. Wait, I said Luka's my guard. You didn't say he was your guard. You just said he was a lock. Okay, he is your guard? He is my guard with Steph. And then I put uh, Kawhi. I didn't want oh, okay. to. I didn't want to uh, at all. Okay. I, okay. I couldn't think of a better fit. So I put Kawhi at the other forward with Giannis. Okay, so I moved Luka to forward. Um, because okay. I don't feel like it's as bad as the forward center thing for Jokic and Embiid. I think he guards forwards. I know he's a point guard on offense, but, you know. Ultimately, LeBron's a point guard on offense in a lot of years, and he's always been a forward, um, you know, on the ballot. And so I felt okay with that one. I wasn't, you know, losing sleep. So I added Damian Lillard. Um, To me, it was between him and Kawhi. I just think when you look at Dame's advanced numbers, when you look at the fact that Portland's been just through a barrage of injuries and he's been relatively healthy, like Kawhi's only played 53 games. I, I'm tired of not counting stuff against the Clippers that we should count against them. I'm just tired of this, like, fucking, like, <laughs> just uh, the way we've crowned the Clippers. And I continually say that, and I'm not going to give Kawhi first-team All-NBA for that reason. Yeah, look, I, I hated putting Kawhi first-team All-NBA. I didn't want to recognize it. But, I, you know, you're looking holistically at the season. Yes, he's missed some games. Um, His defensive impact is still there. He's He's still shooting his true shooting percentage is 62 percent the wind shares are there all the advanced stats that's um, the problem speak he plays, to his value he's so goddamn good he just plays and saunters in whenever he feels like it it's so frustrating hey i'm the biggest Kawhi hater there is right but even you know he's shooting 40 percent from three um on decent volume like he's just been end-to-end Good. And and Dame, the Dame has been a really good season too, but Portland, once again, hasn't done anything different. At least you can argue that the Clippers have been in a season of uncertainty and unsteadiness. They've been relatively steady. Uh, And of course with them, time will always tell in the, in the postseason. but I don't think Kawhi can go from being talked about as the best player in the league just a year ago to now we're discrediting, discrediting his season uh, because he missed some games here and there. I still think he's got to make first team. All right, fair enough. Um, so second team, I had four locks, including let's I'll just say Kawhi. So what about what, what about you? Who was a lock on your second team? Five. How locks. many guys? Second oh, team okay. was easy. Everyone. For me. Easy. Okay. I wouldn't I wouldn't dispute any of these guys. I think before you say anything, I actually have a feeling we'll match four out of five, and the fifth one being Kawhi and Dame swap. But let's hear it. All right. So my guards are Chris Paul. Mm-hmm. And Dame. Okay. My forwards are LeBron and Julius Randle. Oh, okay. And then oh. my center is Joel Embiid. Okay, so I have Joel, obviously. That's a lock. I have Julius. Felt great about that. Biggest Julius Randle fan. I had Chris Paul and I had Kawhi. I can't give it to LeBron when he's played 43 games. Um, and you go back and look at that and like, he had a lot of MVP buzz cause the team was playing well, but his individual numbers were basically down across the board defensively. I know he was good, but like offensively, he was not what he was in years past in terms of shooting, in terms of scoring, everything was a little bit down. 
ultimately he would be first or second team all NBA if he had played the full year, but he only played 43 games. Um, he might or might not play one or two more. So it's going to end up with 44 games. Like that is just too low uh, for me to include him on the second team. I put Jimmy Butler who is breaking all sorts of advanced number stats. He's been killing it for Miami. He's had a couple bouts of, you know, injury absence, COVID absence, but when he plays, they've been really good. And of course they're peaking just at the perfect time. And he controls games in ways that I don't remember ever seeing from him before. Like he's reached a new level for, for him. So Jimmy Butler's Jimmy. been insanely good. I don't think he's been talked about enough this season just because Miami has been, I mean, I Up guess disappointing down. given that they were a finals team last year, but we know their issues. Uh, and he's been on a tear, man. Like I, he's having an, just incredible season by all metrics. Yep. I just think LeBron, look, you can't knock LeBron for his numbers being down across the board. Cause first of all, they're not significantly down. He's taken a step back a little bit, scoring assists, rebounds. His defensive impact has been amazing this year when he was on the court. So what you can knock him for is the games played fine. That's why I'm taking him from first team where he should belong every single year to second team. I don't need to penalize him on third team because he missed what? 20 games, 25 games, maybe. Um, I mean, you had freaking LaMelo Ball has missed 24 games, and you had him That's winning rookie, rookie of, of the year. year. That's a totally different stakes, first of all. And I was comparing him to Anthony Edwards, not Jimmy Butler. Secondly, the thing about the Lakers and LeBron's defensive impact is he missed all that time. Anthony Davis missed all that time. They're still first in defensive rating. So the fact is this is Vogel's scheme that everyone is playing well in. The that that they were able to maintain that rating despite losing those two guys shows you it's more about the team system and concept than it is the individual player yeah they were a good defensive team last year too and lebron has his defensive game has stepped up from last year to this year so both things can be true like they play well good defense and lebron has been even better defensively I, i don't think you can say that's a false statement um you can't and, and look, only 43 games like that's. I mean, come on, man. Like if Michael Jordan only played 43 out of 72, you're leaving him off your second team all NBA. Like, no, you're not doing that. Like stop. He with wouldn't the because Michael Jordan was the ultimate Iron Man. He wouldn't do that. Yeah. Okay. See, Minus this, the two I, seasons I, of I, baseball. I, I, I docked LeBron putting him on the second team. That's, that's enough of a penalty. This guy should be first team. I don't Were care if he plays 30 games. Him for first team. Of course, so why I was. Don't you put and, Kevin Durant on your team because he's been just as good as Le- better than LeBron this season. But what's he hasn't the, been good defensively. What's the game's threshold? Le- Kevin Durant is doing the, shit. The game's threshold like- is how many ever games LeBron's played. <laughs> <laughs> well, then James Harden, I better hear his name coming up soon. Um, okay, so you had LeBron, Chris Paul, Dame. Um, Randall and Randall and Embiid. Okay. And I had the same. So we have Art. nine out of the 10 top 10. Mm-hmm. And then I have Jimmy Butler. You had LeBron. Yep. Okay. So what's your third team? All right. How about you? You lead this time. Let's see. Let me hear you. Okay. okay. This is one that I'm still toying with. I might be typing in names <laughs> as, we, as I read it. You're off. changing it as you watch like the games like tonight, like some <laughs> guy could drop 40 and you're going to put him in your third team. All CJ McCollum and Damian <laughs> Lillard are my two. No, um, Bradley Beal, I think, start to finish that type of consistency. <laughs> he deserves it. I didn't give it to him last year, by the by the way. For the record, I did not give it to him last year, but he deserves yeah. it. Kyrie Irving, who I just feel like someone has to make it from the Nets, and he's been the most 
frequent player. He's not been their best player. He's been probably their third best player, which is what makes this a little weird. LeBron James, I did have him on my third team. Thank God. Zion Williamson and Rudy Gobert, who is a lock by virtue of their defense and the Jazz being good, but this is one that I'm not excited about. Like, I would have rather gone with Bam Adebayo or maybe even Clint Capella, but that that's 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 my five. <laughs> You're not gonna like my five. <clears throat> so, uh, point guard or guard, sorry, went with Kyrie. Okay, we're aligned. And also went with Paul George <laughs> <laughs> over Bradley Beal. It's fair. Like I was debating it, but you know, I was debating that one. For a while. So I, I, I actually really wanted to put Bradley Beal. I thought it'd be more fun if I left him off. And and the Bradley Beal, his scoring's great. And the Wizards are now. He doesn't do much else. He doesn't do much else that much. When he, that's true. Doesn't do but much else. And, and and the Westbrook seems to have been kind of the engine behind how well they've been playing lately. And look, you watch more Wizards games. That doesn't say that Bradley Beal is still the most important player on the team. I just don't think he's... You know, they're still firmly in 10, and I, I think that has to discount. And the fact that he's only an offensive guy really has to yeah. discount his, his contribution. Well, the thing about that, that and I, if I can make the case, is that his team is garbage. Like, the roster is honestly terrible. They have the worst centers and the worst four until Daniel Gafford came. And, of course, we talked about how Scott Brooks has got him in jail. They had the <laughs> worst, like, supporting cast. And Russ was playing horribly. So it was really a one-man band, and every single defense was – keyed in on him all five guys on the court all 10 guys on the bench plus all the coaches were guarding him at once and so the reality is the fact that he was able to average 30 on pretty good efficiency is is a wonder in itself uh he's a gunner he doesn't really play make as much as he used to he does not play defense the way paul george does but just like you said russ took some of the pressure off you just put a guy in your first team all nba that took a lot of pressure off paul george um and then you know not that it's a huge discrepancy but Beal has played six more games than George, um, and generally, I, mean, I think. But it feels like Paul George's injuries are always load management. Like that's what's frustrating, and they're not real injuries. And so, because of that, I docked George and I took him off, even though I put him off on first team when we talked two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, I forgot he was your first team. So yeah. I don't have much to say about that. But, okay, so this is the problem, right? They announced this positional flexibility thing, and it threw my mind for a total loop because yeah. I thought were, I thought about replacing Kyrie with George. Beal was Beal was locked. Oh, wait, you continue your list. So George and Beal. No, sorry, George and, George, Irving, and, George and Irving. George and Irving. George and Kyrie. And one thing I want to plug in for Kyrie is that I think with Harden missing games, with Durant missing games, there's yes. still a constant, and the Nets have still been a damn good team. I know a lot of that came when Harden and Kyrie played well together, but I think he's got to get one of the guard spots. Um, so for me, like Kyrie is a lock, even though I know a lot of people don't even have him on the third team. Um, I, I'm going with Jimmy Butler. All the reasons you said, he's been amazing. I, I also picked Zion. I thought Zion is, is a weird one because here I am talking about Bradley Beal being in the 10th seed and the Pelicans are 11. Yeah, they're uh, Zion does not provide anything on defense. And he doesn't have the same scoring output as a guy like Beal, but he is just his the efficiency and he's just shattering what I think the crazy thing about Zion is like, yes, he's had a really good season, but he's still so young. So it's like, where does it go from here when he's already this elite efficiently? And he's not even I still don't think his 
his body type is is optimal. I still think he has ways to improve his game. But this new point forward position he's playing, I never would have anticipated his game to kind of take this leap this early, given how his rookie season went, where, to be honest, there were a lot of questions um, yeah. I had. No, so it's, it's insane, man. Like, I tried to leave him off because I think there's a lot of deserving guys. Like I said, especially if you start switching positions. And let's say I moved, um, you know, Luca to guard and the whole thing cascades honestly the rest of the way or if I move Joel to one of the reasons I didn't put Joel at forward is because I didn't want a fourth center right there were so many good forwards and like even now you look at this and you say okay who's left off this list right like just at the forward position you're talking Jason Tatum who's averaging like 27 a game and has played good defense you're talking um Ben Simmons you know who could be defensive player of the year you're talking Devin Booker Right, you're talking Donovan Mitchell, Zach Levine, Drew Holiday. All these guys have a case for one of these spots. It's insane. And James Harden, and, and the reality is, James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Anthony Davis would probably all be competing for first team if they didn't, you know, if they didn't miss so yeah. much time. Um, so that's what's. I mean, we're a long ways away from the dark days of Pascal Siakam making All NBA last year. So the league is obviously in an awesome. Oh, yeah, he did. The league is obviously in an awesome place. He, dude, he made second team last year. Jeez. Um, the league's in an awesome place, but that makes it hard for situations like this. Who, who is your biggest kind of like, or your toughest cut? Because for me, it was Paul George, I think. It was uh, Harden uh, because I know he missed a lot of games, but when he was on the court, forget about what he is as a player historically, just the season on the court, uh, that team was unbelievable and Jason Tatum and, and that was easier to leave off because I think that Boston's just been bad, but yeah, I think Tatum has taken his offensive game has obviously been continuing to improve, but defensively he's had some games where he's locked down opposing wings. And I think some of his defensive numbers this season have, um, you know, shown that he's made a lot of strides in that part of his game. So I thought he could have gotten a nod. I want yeah. that forward spot. Yeah, I agree. I like Tatum a lot, and I think he's a bonafide star, but it did feel like a lot of, hey, we don't have any other offense, so yeah. you just shoot That's, a ton, and yep. therefore you average 27 a game, which you know isn't that different from the season's Beal or Zach Levine or some of these other guys put together. So one thing on Zion, which I thought was amazing, is he ended up being one of the more durable players this year. For all that yeah. was talked about his, I mean, like right now he's out, but it was like, a, it's a fractured finger. It's not like a, you know, a knee or a back or something. And he played 61 games and every time he touched the floor, he was like an instant bucket. It was unreal to watch him um, night in and night out. Like, I don't know what they're doing in New Orleans, but you know, like I said, with Luca, Zion is in win now mode. Like that's how good he is. And so they better not screw up the next, you know, two to four years of, of building around him. Yep, so. I agree. All right, so that's the all-NBA list. I think the official ones probably come out sometime during the playoffs, but the awards themselves don't come out till you know, they do that stupid award show after the finals, so we have to wait quite a bit. Um, all right, so let's get to – we actually have a mailbag segment for the first time in a while. Um, so let's get to the mailbag questions. We'll try to go through these rapid fire. Um, the first one from Vishal from Richmond. He says, we had quite a run from the heat in the bubble. Who do you, last year, who do you think is this year's heat from each conference? 
Oh, from each conference. Like one team that could go on that kind of unexpected run to the finals. So I, I think from the West, I, I have to go with Dallas. Um, mm-hmm. And and I think simply because the path is there. So I'll tell you the path. They're a five seed, which I think the Heat were a five seed last year. They can yeah. win against Denver, given you know Jamal Murray's out. I still think Denver's the favorite in that series, but it's possible. Then you're possibly matched up against Utah. Uh, it's a winner of Utah in the eighth seed, but you know if it's Golden State or Memphis or San Antonio, Utah's going to win. I think Dallas and Utah would be a good matchup. Dallas can win that one too. So all of a sudden you find yourself in the Western Conference Finals, and if things break your way, the Lakers lose early, Clippers maybe lose early somehow. You never oh, know. Shit. Or you, you can play beat the Clippers. The Clippers. You, you can beat, beat the Clippers. Clippers. So yeah, Dallas to me is is a little. It seems maybe too obvious, but this is the same case as as um, as the Heat last year, where things kind of break your the right way, and then you get a bad matchup, and Clippers. The way they played Dallas last year, Dallas would not be a great matchup for them. So it's possible. Um, maybe before I go to East, what do you say for the West? Dallas does make sense. One funny note is in their last 15 games, they're 11 and 1 versus the rest of the NBA and 0 and 3 versus the Kings. The Kings, I know. Uh, so they're just got to be happy that they're not going to, you know, face Sacramento in the playoffs. Dallas is the obvious one only because you have the best player on the court potentially in a given series. But the other one I was going to say kind of to your same point is does Denver count with how many people are counting them out as a real playoff contender without, without uh, Murray. Right. I think everyone's happy for them and like the story and we'll give Jokic the MVP, but who's picking them to really get out of the conference. I would say almost no one. Right. Mm-hmm. And so with them, it's like, okay, Michael Porter Jr., since that Murray injury, has been playing like an all star, right? Like, you have to really think about his ceiling has taken another step up. He's averaging 25 a game on really good efficiency, even though he doesn't really dribble all that much or have a ton of ISO moves. His shooting is just incredible. He can pull up from anywhere, can get off a quick release. Uh, he's obviously 6'10, so not unblockable shot, really. Um, if he can really provide Jokic that night-to-night consistency and they at least get Will Barton back, I don't know what they're going to do with him. They cannot play Compazzo and uh, Austin Rivers as the primary guards. If they can figure out something that avoids that situation, I could see Denver as well. Denver, I mean, that's a, that's a good – I think that's a solid choice. They, they, I mean, because they've been playing well. Um, and – Michael Porter Jr. He's I, I, you mentioned it right now, but I, he's been having an unreal season. Like there's some stats that are floating around in terms of one of the most efficient shooting seasons from a Ford ever. Yeah. Um, like just eye popping numbers from three, and so I think the, the the case for Denver, like you said, is he just hits another level and he provides that Jamal Murray type burst, and and they win some of those games they weren't you know looking like they would win. Yeah. So that's a good one. I, I just think. I mean, Denver would be playing uh, Dallas in the first round, right? So it's kind of similar. It's either one of those teams. Yeah, I, I, well, that's why path. I said I think the path you laid out makes sense, where the Clippers and Lakers beat each yep. other up either in round one or round two. It looks like at this point the Lakers are almost a lock for, uh, you know, getting into the, being in the play-in tournament, especially after Portland and Dallas won tonight. Um, and so even if, let's say, the Lakers face Phoenix, they're going to face the Clippers in round two. 
Um, yep. So it's going to end up happening before the conference finals. So you really want to be on that other side of the bracket, which to be fair is why a lot of people think Utah is, has a real chance to make this run with the healthy Mitchell and, and, uh, and Kami. All right. How about the East? So I, I already know what your answer is going to be here. Um, it's not I, the Wizards. No, it's not the Wizards. I think you're going to say the. Uh, we can't say the Heat, right? Or can you say the Heat is going to be? The I was going to say the Heat. I was like, can't it just be them again? That's um, too easy. It's way too easy. Um, okay. Yeah. Then I think you're right with what I was going to say. The Hawks. Yeah. I'm going to go with the Wizards. <laughs> and here, here's my argument for the Wizards. Um. They never have trouble scoring. So all of a sudden, you find yourself in a game against Philly. Um, they're going to find a way to get their points. It's going to be a hectic, frenetic game. And uh, yes, Bill Sim- or Ben Simmons, I worry about what he's gonna, how he's going to lock up uh, Bradley Beal. I worry but about Philly, that. Ben, Bill Simmons but look, also, here's the thing with Philly. Not enough people. People are kind of just letting Philly coast by because there's a burden of expectation on uh, Brooklyn. There's a burden of expectation on Milwaukee. You notice how no one's talking about Philly. And Philly's a team that they've done decently in the postseason, but hasn't hasn't shown it yet that they are able to ascend to the next level. Who's their coach? Doc Rivers, known also, I think, in recent years for not being the best uh, postseason coach. So there, there is a path where Beal and Westbrook kind of go nuclear. You win that matchup. And then all of a sudden you're playing the Hawks or the Knicks. You win that, and then the Nets, Bucks. You're yeah, definitely and then you just keep, dude. They'd have to be nuclear for so long. Like Chernobyl would look like a minor disaster at this point. Like there's no chance for the Wizards to be this nuclear I, for this long. I know. I, I I also find I'm laughing as I talk myself into it. I just I think they're more interesting than picking like the Hawks or the Heat. So I'm going with the Wizards. That leads us into the next question, which is, and, and so my answer, by the way, is Atlanta. I think they're, you know, since the Lloyd Pierce firing, Nate McMillan hiring, they've been awesome. Trey Young has really matured as a player, playing much more within himself. We didn't even talk about him for all NBA. I don't know why he's not in that conversation, but he, I don't like he's, him. he's been, but not only from us, like in general, I haven't seen his name even heard, you know, mentioned once other than as an afterthought. Yeah. So, uh, that brings me to the second question. You talked about Philly. Why are people so high on this team? And you've sort of already answered this. Maybe it's just because the burden of expectations is there. But when they haven't, this is from Unage in Philadelphia. He says, why are they so high on his hometown Sixers when they haven't really proven anything? And we've seen versions of Ben Simmons being exposed in the playoffs in the past. I, I just don't think that they've been. I don't think people expect them to go. To, no one's expecting them to go to the finals. Like name one person who has the Sixers. Over the Nets or over the Bucks, uh, I don't think you. There is something. I, I think there's a lot of people that have them over the the Bucks. Maybe I, I, I think mean, the I Bucks. Think the, I think are third in the hierarchy of teams people think will come out of the. No, East. I think the sentiment is wrong. No, you look at even like the betting odds. Philly is two after Brooklyn. That is more to do with the fact that they don't have to play either the Nets or the Bucks in the second round, so their path is naturally easier. I don't think I think the sentiment on the Bucks has swung the other way. I think everyone realizes how good they are still. They figured it out. The Drew Holiday um, experiment, their bench, everything about the Bucks is is good. So I think no one ex- has high expectations of Philly, and so they're able to. And like I said, that there's no burden of expectation, so you don't have to. You can kind of just skirt by. Um, Simmons being exposed now that's uh, that's a little overblown. Um, 
I, once again, I don't know why we talk about Simmons like a superstar. He's not. There's no exposed. He's just not. It has a very clear ceiling I mean, to his game. He's so paid like one, and he's sort of being asked to be one. But then again, he's only played in, you know, two playoffs, and he hasn't played. You know, he didn't play last year. So yeah. So I that I'm the, the real test is going to be. It, it's going to come down to Embiid because Simmons isn't going to give you, and Tobias Harris, right? I think a guy like Tobias Harris is going to have to step up and be better than he has in the past postseasons. But um, I just don't think people expect much of Philly. Yeah. I mean, I, I look, I think Embiid is a player who produces at a caliber of an NBA MVP, of a champion, and that's why ultimately that those expectations exist and why people have a lot of confidence in them. Because when he plays, they win. Like the seven-game series versus Toronto, that's always one of the most major what-ifs in NBA history. So many different sliding doors moments from Toronto and Kawhi hitting that shot. In that series, they were plus 93 when Embiid was on the court and minus whatever else that there was to end up being the margin. So like, if he can find a way to stay on the court for 35 to 40 minutes, they're going to have a shot every night. So, All right, talked a lot about playoff teams. We're actually going to switch gears here. This is from Sean in Arlington, Virginia. He asks, if you are the Oklahoma City Thunder, who have silently been undergoing one of the most amazing tank jobs in recent history after they started out a little too hot, um, he asks, would you rather have the fourth pick and the fifth pick, You know, assuming that the Houston Rockets pick falls from one to five, it would then convert to OKC, or number one overall through their own pick, and Houston keeps their pick, meaning they finish second or third, so it's top four protected. So OKC either gets four and five or number one. This is a fantastic question because I don't think the answer is easy. Um, I go with four and five. To you, it's easy. That's the wrong answer. It's the wrong answer. Yeah, so I know because Cade is a generational talent. You'd rather get the generational talent than two shots at a top five guy. Here's why I disagree. I don't know if Cade is as generational of a talent as uh, we've been talking about him. I don't think he's a Luka. So I don't think by missing out on Cade, you're missing out on a Luka. I think you're missing out on a player who is could be very good, but there, there's still some legit questions to his game. So if I end up with Kuminga and Jalen Green, um, you got a couple nice assets to work with. And then you have all these – you can build out a full roster um, – you know, with, with all the other picks you have, you're not dependent on this one generational guy. So I would just take two swings. You know, top five, that there's a clear hierarchy in this draft and it starts with the top five. I, but I get, I get what you're going to say about, do you want that one superstar? And it looks like out of this draft, that would be Kate. It's not even that it's specifically Kate, right? Ultimately the hit rate at number one is so much higher than any other pick. Even though the NBA draft is much more accurate at the top than, let's say, the NFL draft, the NBA draft still has a steep fall off after number one. You think about the number one picks, most are stars of some form, and I would say the same thing here. Then you talk about two specific factors with Oklahoma City. One is they're not going to attract these big-name free agents. They're not going to be able to convert all of their assets into trading for a next disgruntled star who's not going to be thrilled to be traded to Oklahoma City, right? So you have to draft. That's how they did it the first time with the Durant-Westbrook-Harden crew. That's going to be how they have to do it again with this new SGA, Dort, Pokachevsky crew. So at that point, you pick the best player in the draft, which you would get at number one, 
yes, four and five is nice because, like you said, you get two bites of the apple, especially if you're unsure. But ultimately, I think you would rather know that you have first right of refusal about any of these prospects, whether that's Cade or maybe it's Jalen Suggs or Evan Mobley, whoever it ends up being. I think that's much higher likelihood of stardom. And the other thing I'd say is like they have 17 first round picks over the next seven years. They're not going to be able to make all these picks, right? No, you um, trade them for players. But okay, but like, but which players, right? So ultimately, you'd rather just get as high in the draft as you can every year. Four and five is nice, but one is, I think, the clear choice to me. True, and here here's another argument in your favor. Uh, the Hawks Thank traded you. out of one to get Trey, and then what? Like a top five pick and. End up being yeah, they traded from three year. to five, and yeah, they got to pick the next year. And Jason Tatum, Markel Fultz was the same thing. They went back from one to three. Well, that one actually worked in the favor. <laughs> that one does not but work the, in your favor. Well, Fultz was a weird situation, but yes, the Doncic Trey Young trade was like probably. Uh, see, but but, but look, Fultz also seemed as a pretty sure thing as the, the number one spot. There wasn't a lot of debate over who was going number one in that draft. So same thing with Cade. Like I think the difference is normally I agree four or five will not package for one. I think in this draft. One through five are at a pretty high, like one is obviously a little bit higher, but two through five are at a pretty high level. And there's a huge drop off after that. And so when you talk about a, like relative value of those picks, they're higher than in any other given year. And so maybe you go with four and five. I mean, I said maybe with Jalen Green and Kuminga, you could get Mobley and, and Jalen Green. Like, um, you could, but if those Kate, guys, I don't slipped, think Kate a is a surefire bona fide star. I don't know that I feel that great about Cade either, but I just mean whoever the number one pick is. It doesn't have to be Cade, but whoever. No, it but is. it has to be Cade because we're talking about this year's draft, right? We're no, not talking. Say, I'm saying like the evaluation for them could yield that Jalen Suggs is the number one pick or Evan Mobley, but you'd rather have the choice to pick whoever you want versus the last two of this clear top five. But no, but you have to go into this exercise. Forget about how they evaluate. You have to go into this exercise thinking about who is expected to go one. Like in a year yeah. where Zion goes one, would you trade four and five for Zion? No, hell no. I mean, I sorry, mean, would yes, you trade yes, Zion yes, for four yes. and five? You wouldn't yes. trade Zion for four and five, right? That's that's That question's different. And I agree with that. But this year it's asking if would you trade Cade for Mobley and Kuminga or Mobley and uh, Green or Jalen Green and Suggs? I don't know, right? So yeah, I I, guess- I, my point is it's not as ridiculous as it would be previous years. Yeah, I think this year is kind of similar to this past draft where it's like, okay, who's number one? Anthony Edwards, Lamella Ball, James Wiseman, who knows? Yep. Um, the prospects are probably better, but equally sort of balanced. Um, all right, this next question also from Sean. Double, double question here this week. He asks, who is the NBA analyst that if you hear him or her call a game or you see them in a studio show, you immediately hit the mute button? <laughs> uh Paul Pierce, he, he's not on ESPN anymore. I could not. Paul, I for love good, Paul Pierce. The very, player. very funny reason. He's just, but he was. And and the thing is, I look up to all these. Like I love the two thousands era stars, right? The Tracy McGrady's, the Allen Iversons, and I was one of the few people who loved Paul Pierce. Like I mm-hmm. loved his game, and he was god awful in the studio. Um, so I think that one's an easy one. The other one I'd put, uh, I watch a lot of Warriors games. Um, because they're just on obviously they're my local team so they're always on tv bob fitzgerald and kalena azubuki have got to be the worst commentating tandem <laughs> that is a deep i have there. ever heard in my life like i can't begin to tell you 
I don't learn a single new thing in watching the games. Complete homers. And it's just a disgrace to a team that has a lot of great players and deserves a better commentating crew. You know, forget about the the recent Warriors. Like this was a franchise that long suffering franchise, a lot of great good fan base. Like get some better commentators. Like this is amateur hour when you listen when you watch a Warriors game. I remember thinking like when I watched that Warriors on League Pass once, and I was like, "Is that Kalena Azabuke who like used to play for them?" And yeah. then I was like, like had to go down this whole rabbit hole of what the hell happened to him. But then I was like, yep, he is now doing this. So that's cool. So, I, yeah, I gave you two answers there. But who are yours? I contest you on the worst commentating crew. Unless you hear the Wizards, uh, <laughs> led by Drew Gooden, who doesn't know a goddamn thing. And I'm actually even forgetting the play-by-play guy's name. It's Justin Kucher or something like that. And he got in a little tiff with Ben Simmons earlier this year. So... Well, I guess I was on his side for that, but everything else uh, I was out on. Um, so one, and this this is not a guy who I think is an NBA. I've already brought him up, but Nick Wright, just because everything has to be in the context of LeBron and blah, blah, blah. And like, I'm just sick of him. And then Kendrick Perkins, who I don't know what he's talking about half the time. He, his, his tweets make no sense. Just tells us to keep carrying on where we're supposed <laughs> to go. I don't know. Um, but, you know, and all of the statements are like him just walking back, like insane rash statements he had made like the previous week. And so, you know, I'm out on the, both of those guys. And if I had to go now, if I think about the local commentators, the Celtics guys are pretty bad. I mean, yeah. RIP Tommy Heinz. Like, right, he, yeah. he was a tough listen. Um you know, and that's how they, they they are paid by the team. You know that, right? No, I know, I know, I, I know the based on how the Kings. Which, fans. Why are they? It's like state-run TV type shit. Like, why do we have that set up? I don't get it. I mean, I I kind of get it, right? Like, they, you're not hiring. If you want objective voices about the team, you can you can find that at other places, podcasts, things like that. But the funniest when you watch a game, Knicks. you want to get hyped about a team. You don't want to be hear how crappy the team is the whole time, right? Like, I mean, to be but, fair, like their job, if they were just talking about how crappy that team was the whole time, the experience would suck. That's true. Because like national TV games are mostly good teams. And so Jeff no. Van Gundy is not like deriding how bad like the rim protection is. Yeah. The, the Knicks with Mike Breen and Walt Frazier, because I've been watching a lot of Knicks. I just love watching Julius Randle. Um, they are a fun duo. Because Frazier is like yeah. out of control, and then Breen is like, you know, he's he's the goat, or he's one of them. Yeah, I mean, the the Kings have Mark Jones, who's also an ESPN guy. He's great. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he's good. Um, and then Doug Christie is, he's my I mean my favorite player of all time on the Kings. So I he's kind of quirky, but I like him too. I I'm gonna defend Nick Wright a little bit. So I Nick Wright is shocking. He has some terrible takes, but. There, there are a lot of gems he drops, I think, and some nuggets in stats that I think are he, he provides a kind of contrarian opinion, and sometimes he's kind of right. And his LeBron arguments are obviously all golden and, and awesome, and I love how he goes at Jordan and brings up the things people don't like to talk about with Jordan. So I'm not a huge Nick Wright guy, but I mean, I think he deserves a little credit. He is more well researched, I think, than a lot of other talking heads. Um, including like Max Kellerman types who just won't walk yep. back like shit yeah. that they've clearly gotten wrong, like Tom Brady, you know, takes and whatnot. Um, 
and surprisingly good on social issues, but that is not the question here. Um, Okay, the last question from Uckhill in Arlington. He says, clearly the play-in game is going to generate a lot of revenue, so it's here to stay. What tweaks could you see them making in future years after this pilot year that we're about to have? Uh, You know, one tweak is just embrace March Madness. Um, All one location. Uh, you have multiple games in the oh, same arena like in that. one day. Uh, do it like a super day. Like, you know, uh, did you ever play in these basketball tournaments uh, growing up? I don't know if you played AAU. I didn't play AAU, but like um, where yeah, like yeah, the yeah. tournament was kind of the whole day. And if, if, the, if you stayed yeah. in it, you'd play later on. Um, now, NBA teams, you can't ask them to play two games in a day. But what I'm trying to get at is same location. So all the teams are watching each other and you just do like the 7, 8, 9, 10, 7, 8, 9, 10. And then two days later, you do the winners and losers. And it's always at the same location, one big day. And the NBA just, they wouldn't never do this because they want to split the ratings out, obviously, individual eyeballs every single day. But that would be the most exciting kind of hype day. And you give it a name, you sponsor it, you have all other teams, players come watch it, like the All-Star game. You make it a big event, host it in a cool city. So like I said, neutral location, do it in Vegas. Why not? Vegas playing game every year. So that would actually be a lot of fun. I didn't even think about that. One one question I have is why are they playing them all? All four games are on like different nights. I think it's like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Uh, right now, I, guess I mean, you, so you maximize eyeballs, right? You get a prime time slot for every yeah. game as opposed to splitting them. You know, but it would be cool if they did Monday. like a seven and a nine thirty Eastern or something. Um, yeah, like a double header. I don't know why they aren't doing that. They're really milking this thing, but yeah, and like then they're gonna have basically no time to rest, nor prepare the you know their opponents prepare for that's, that. So this is the crazy part. Uh, sorry, I'll let you give your other answer, but um, the teams that aren't in the play-in game essentially get like an all-star break because normally yeah, in the postseason week. you don't get like six days off. No, <laughs> these usually regular like six days ends rest. on Wednesday and you start on Saturday. Yeah, they get like six days, which is like an all-star break. Or maybe not, but it's, you know, something similar. So it's weird, though, right? Because the teams that are in the play-in tournament obviously don't get that. Um, I guess if you win the first game and you were on Tuesday, you have, you know, three days off, so that's okay. But if you're playing Friday night and then you're playing Sunday, and then the one seed, right, who in theory should have the most advantageous route, doesn't even know who they're playing until yeah. that last you day. You can't even, like, game so plan. In a, in a case where it's, let's take the Lakers Warriors, that seems to be where we're headed. You know, the Warriors, let's say, could they could win, right? So then suddenly yep. the Lakers are in the eight nine game. I very much doubt they lose that. But then the Jazz were not even aware that they were playing the Lakers until forty eight hours before. Now they get LeBron and AD for seven games. Yeah, it's a there's a lot of weird stuff. But anyways, what is your suggestion? Mine was just a minor tweak, and maybe this is just me being the anti-fun police, but like I just felt like there's always a drop-off after seven more than there is after eight. Sorry, after six. And so I was just thinking, why not make the play in three teams and just do nine versus ten, and then the winner plays eight. But they won't do that because it takes away games. If they want to do this, they're going to keep the games in place, right? Three per conference. That would only be two per conference. But I just thought that would be more fair because you look historically usually seven and up are and even this year it's the same way where seven and up have kind of separated themselves and then eight nine ten eleven are sort of in a jumble and i just think like right now the worst case scenario for the league is the lakers miss this thing 
and then they may really reevaluate what to do. <laughs> For the most part, it won't matter, but I could see a bunch of seven seeds that have won 47, 48 games, you know, getting dragged into this, and maybe they have a key injury or something like that, and suddenly they're sitting at home. I get it. I think this year is a weird year. I don't think we're going to see this often. Like, you're not going to have a really good team sitting at seven. So I think it's overblown, like, the seven versus eight. Like, throw another team in there. I'm trying to make it more fun, man. I'm trying to take us to Vegas. I'm trying to have more games. Here you are trying to cut down on the playing field because you're worried about injuries. Like, that's not the Not even injuries. I'm worried about, like, I guess, like, you know, last year, for example, they did 8, 9, 10, which made sense because 7 and up was, like, way better. Like, Dallas was 7, and they were significantly better record-wise in Portland at 8. And then we got to see Dallas versus the Clippers, and that was an awesome series. But in this case, that may not always be the, you know, that may not always happen. I guess it doesn't really matter because, like, ultimately the seven seed is never going to win the title unless we have something extremely crazy, like another 100-year pandemic where the Lakers end up getting pushed down to the seventh seed, like this yeah. season. Yeah. But, all right. Anything else to add? No, man, I think this is the last pod we have before the playing game st- starts. So we're finally here. Excited. We're finally here. Yeah. So next week, we're going to cover our over-unders with Kush. We'll do a little bit of a playoff preview. I may be recording from the road, honestly. I may be driving back at 1 a.m. from Indianapolis after watching uh, Wizards Pacers. I don't know what what's going to be the schedule or what I'm going to do. But I really want to try so, to get out there for that game. Are you so you are if if they do play in Indiana, you're going to get tickets? Well, I need to ask my wife uh, for permission, and then she'll say no, and then no, I'm just going to watch. She, it she can TV throw on the the her Bradley Beal shirt, right? In, in, That's in true. No, no, no. So uh, I already told her because she was asking what the general strategy was, and I was saying, let's say the game's on Tuesday. I would drive up Monday night, stay in a hotel. Yep work remotely the day Tuesday. And then yeah, we talked about this, right? Go to the game and then I yeah. guess drive home after, but then that would be really shitty and it would be like really late. So we'll see. I got to convince Nick Hill to come with. He's not, he's not doing anything. Yeah. Convince him. He'll do it. The thing is because capacity is constrained, ticket prices are like, of course. You know, yeah. Okay. But it's a wizards Pacers playing game in Indiana. Let's not talk about this. Like it's a super bowl. Like, yeah, limited tickets, but I don't think they're going for it. Fine, but I did look at uh, Bucks round one, and the only seats that were available were game two, I think, and it was like nine hundred bucks a piece. Jeez, it was crazy. Well, they're not of selling that many. They'll come out. They'll well, yeah, That's right. True. Like they're not okay. I can actually. Wow, StubHub does not have anything left for game one, planned game one. Wow. It okay, does say maybe, it's Tuesday, though. Maybe you're not going to the game, then. I'm about to just order a bunch of wings and, and watch us lose at home. <laughs> Probably for the best. <laughs> you know, those yeah, that know. sad That's... drive back from Indiana. Dude, that drive after a Russell Westbrook nine turnover game would be really, <laughs> really tough. Eight yeah. for 42, eight turnovers. Meanwhile, I have the Wizards score. going to the, the NBA Finals. Yeah, right, <laughs> exactly. Um, all right, that's a wrap for us. Please rate, review, and subscribe uh, to Thick and Thin on all Thick and Thin Hoops on all major podcast platforms. Please email us at thickandthinhoops at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Thick and Thin Hoops, and we will talk to you next week.